Verse 16 says of Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Father, as we open up your word tonight and we read it and we soak it in, I pray, Lord, that you would make us a bold generation a generation that's not ashamed of proclaiming the gospel to every corner, every street, every school, every situation we find ourselves in, Lord. May we represent you well. Lord, there is no other place I'd rather be right now than amongst your people and amongst you and in your presence. And I pray that that would be the desire of everyone that comes here to seek you, to know you, Maybe there's some here that are even questioning. They're not even really certain if you're out there. I pray, Lord, that you make yourself real to them. Maybe in just the words that are said or maybe the word that's read, Lord, they would know that there's something different about your word. So I pray, Lord, you speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Now, I know we got a lot of uh, younger people here today. A lot of you freshmen and some people that haven't really been around. So let me just, right off the bat, let me encourage you, first of all, commend you for being here. You're stepping out into brave new territory where you see some older people and you see the cool people and you're like, wow, how do I fit in or how do I make friends? Thank you for coming tonight. I really am grateful that you're here and we want to welcome you here. And so what we do here at Impact is we want to Read what the Bible says because we believe that that is the word of God. That gives us direction for everything that we do. Direction in our life, how to live a more perfect life, what's wrong with our life. All those kinds of things are answered in the Bible. And that's why we respect it. And that's why you'll notice if you try to talk to other students, we're not going to pay attention because we believe that this word is so important that we don't want to miss one jot or one tittle of it. As the Bible says, not one jot or tittle will pass away of his word. It, it endures forever, in other words. So just giving you the backdrop of that in case you're talking to your friend next to you and they're like completely ignore you like you're not a person and you get scared because you think, oh, what if I don't exist? What if I'm not really in this universe and people don't even see me and you think you're a ghost? You're not a ghost. Just letting you know. Anyway, on to the message. So this past week, uh, how many of you know who Julian Smith is? Popular YouTube star. Okay, well, basically we became friends over this week. <laughs> I, he tweet replied me five times over three days. That's what I'm saying. We were talking about camera stuff. I asked him how he got this camera that I wanted. And he replied to me, not once, not twice, five times. And so I tweet replied him and I was like, does this make us friends? I'm still waiting on, on that one to be answered, but <laughs> I think the answer is obvious. <laughs> but you know, every now and then you get to talk to, uh, that's not really a real conversation, I guess. Uh, one time I almost had a conversation with Natalie Portman. Did I ever tell that? We were filming, I was a background actor, which, you know, you're kind of like the lowest of the low of the low when you're doing background acting. And she was like three feet away from me. 
And so as she's like, you know, we're in between scenes or whatever, she says, it's cold down here. And I say, yes, yes, it is. And if she responded, that would have been a conversation. That's all I'm saying. We're basically friends there too. But let's say in reality, you had a conversation with someone famous. What would you say to that person? Would you preach the gospel? Would you make your main objective making that person know Christ? Or would your main objective make that person know more about you? What Paul says is, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So if you wouldn't preach the gospel, if the first thing you, you would say is not Jesus or something about that, something like that, is it because you're ashamed? Not saying that it necessarily is, is that way, but would it be because you're afraid or you're concerned of what they're going to think of you? If you would preach the gospel, what would you say? Now think about this. If you're talking to a celebrity, what can you possibly say when you're preaching the gospel that will make them listen? Hey, uh, um, famous guy, Will Smith, or fill in the blank on your... I, I might be dating myself now. You guys know who Will Smith is? Okay. <laughs> Just making sure he's not like a governor or something now. All right. Let's say Will Smith. You know, God can fill that void that you have inside of your heart. Will Smith says to me, what are you talking about? I'm pretty happy. What are you talking about? What hole in my heart? I don't have a hole in my heart. What do you say to the person that thinks they have everything? And on the other end, what do you say to the person that has nothing, too? You ever go evangelizing to the homeless? We went to the Bowery Mission this past week. And evangelizing to them, it kind of seems a little difficult. There's a barrier there. Because when you say things like, only God can truly satisfy you, they look at you like, you have no idea what I've been through. How can you say that coming from a rich family, coming from abundance? How can you say that God can fill this hole that I have in my heart? And on the opposite end, how can you say that when I don't feel like I have a hole inside of my heart? Well, we are not to be ashamed of the gospel. When we go out evangelizing in our schools and our jobs, this is many a time that I've been working, you know, in the secular workplace at a gas station or at a diner or whatever, and felt led by the Holy Spirit to share with my coworkers. And you wouldn't believe the responses. Sometimes you're just afraid that they're going to react and like think that you have cooties or something. It doesn't happen. People, more often than not, especially when they're your friends, are willing to listen. But when you think about it, what is so embarrassing about telling people that God has a wonderful plan for their life? Why is that embarrassing? Oh, I know I just, uh, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Oh, I know I just said it's terrible. Well, maybe it's because it would be embarrassing because kind of like in the Old Testament, when the Jewish people were sovereignly ruled by God, they didn't have a king over them. So they wanted a king because they're like, well, we, we go into battle and usually the king comes into battle with us, but we don't have a king that's above us. So they're like, where's their king? And it's just embarrassing not to have a physical king. That might seem like it could be the case. Maybe when you're talking to your friends, it's embarrassing because you're talking about God and they don't believe in God. They think he's just imaginary. It might seem the case, except it doesn't say, I'm not ashamed of the existence of God. It says, I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
So what in the world could we be ashamed about? Maybe, I'm going to suggest to you, it's not just about telling people how to live right, but how they're also living wrong. Maybe the part that we're missing is that we're not telling people they're doing something wrong. You can tell people they're missing something without telling them that they are missing something, right? It's always offensive when you tell someone that they're doing something wrong, isn't it? Like when you're, those of you that have friends that drive now, you're such a bad driver. What? It's like a personal attack. Well, you're, you're an idiot. You know, you just like yell at them. You're like, whoa, hold on. I just said your driving's bad. I didn't say you're a bad person. I know, it's just the way you said it just made me feel like belittled or something. You don't even drive. Look at you. You don't even have your permit. You know, it sounds like a personal attack because people don't like to be told that something is wrong about them. Or if someone is told that they have a bad singing voice, you know, God forbid you say something about their voice that it doesn't sound like Mariah Carey or something. That's a person, right? Okay, just checking. And they respond back, what are you talking about? I am a star. I am destined for greatness or whatever. Criticism feels like a personal attack. And maybe we're editing parts out of the gospel that feel like they're a personal attack. You know, I just believe that God created the heavens and the earth and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, that sounds pretty good, actually. Yeah, it does sound good, doesn't it? And there's a part about the gospel that says that you're sinning and you're going to hell if you continue in the ways that you're going. But that's a footnote. Do we keep it in the backdrop or do we talk about it? There's no question that our world is searching for happiness. And I'm not saying that God can't truly satisfy those desires because that's true. But are we addressing the symptoms of our world instead of the disease? That's the real question. Of course, people are lacking happiness. Of course, people are lacking true joy. But are we just saying that there is something to make you more happy or is there something deeper to the issue? Is there something deeper to the problem? You know, when I was watching Harvest America, they had the guy from Duck Dynasty, Phil Robertson, on and he said something very profound. He was asked, what would you tell a person that says all they need, uh, a person that doesn't think that they need Jesus? What would you say to that person? And I expected him to say, well, only Jesus can satisfy you. God has a wonderful plan for your life or whatever. You know what he said? There are two problems that no man can solve. One is the problem of sin. And secondly is the problem of death. Only Jesus can forgive sins and only Jesus can conquer death. Boom. He didn't say that. I added that for effect. But have we missed out on the bad news? You can't get to the good news until you address the bad news. Look at verse 17 of Romans chapter 1. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You see, sin isn't just living less enjoyably. It's living in offense to God. Sin isn't just living a less happy life. You're actually doing something wrong against the creator of the universe. Let me give you an example. Let's say someone was having an affair was committing adultery. And you said to this man, 
hey, listen, what you're doing is wrong and you're, it's going to make you feel terrible. At the end of it, you're going to feel so depraved and you're going to feel so lost and it's going to ruin you. That's true. But that's not the reason why he should stop having adultery and having this adulterous relationship. It's because he's doing something wrong. Now, a side effect of doing something right, I shouldn't say side effect, but a byproduct of doing the right thing means that you will live a more happy life, but we can't miss the most obvious point, which is living in adultery is wrong. Sinning against God is wrong. So God's righteousness and wrath is revealed from heaven in creation, in consequences, in history. All throughout the Bible, we see how God's wrath is poured out on people that disobey. Think about this. Even the fact that you die is a byproduct of sin. The fact that there are consequences to your sin is because of a righteous God that can't allow sin to go any longer. He is a righteous judge. So tonight we're going to talk about five reasons that we are more messed up than we think. Five reasons that we are more messed up than we think. The first reason is that we have no power to make ourselves righteous. The first reason that we are more messed up than we think is that we have no power to make ourselves righteous. It's interesting to look at in verse 16 how he says, it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. You realize that he was writing this to the Romans. Rome was the powerhouse, the, the center of power in the entire world at the time. So for Paul to say, hey, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, that's kind of like going up to Donald Trump and saying, hey, I have true riches, Donald Trump. I have something that's going to make you rich. And Donald Trump's like, well, I already have riches. I already am pretty rich. I'm doing okay. So it wasn't that odd that he was saying to them that this is the power of God unto salvation. But the Romans didn't see that they were powerless to make themselves righteous. There is something over which they had no power. And that is sin. They couldn't escape the fact that all men sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. John chapter 8 verse 34 says, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. You see, when you sin, it's not like you just like sin once and you're like, well, I'm going to be perfect from now on. You are a slave to sin. If you don't believe me, try stop sinning. Just don't do it anymore. See what happens. And you're like, well, I never sin. You have the sin of pride. That's a sin too. It's inescapable apart from the Lord. Just as a dead person has no power to make himself revived and resurrected, in the same way, a sinner has no way of becoming righteous apart from the saving power of Jesus. So before we go into the good news of the gospel, you know, as we've been learning, we've been doing apologetics last week was with Mike Krauser learning about difficult Bible passages. We before that was about evil and suffering. And weeks before that was about evangelism, how to reach the lost. And if you don't have that podcast, you can go online and listen to it because it is important. We want to equip you guys. But before we, we get to the good news and share that with people, we have to talk about the bad news. Leon Morris is a commentator and he says, unless there is something to be saved from, 
there is no point in talking about salvation. How can people be ready to embrace change in their life if they don't even think that they need change? You might say, well, Alan, I'm basically a good person. I mean, like, I don't do the bad sins. You know, as we were at the Bowery Mission, there was this one homeless man. Uh, his name was Lonnie. And as I was talking to him, I got to know him over lunch. And I just shared the gospel with him. I had a good conversation about 20 minutes long or so. And I asked why he doesn't believe in God. And he said, it's because God never came through for him. I prayed for, I prayed for a job and I got a job, but they fired me right away. And then I'm on the streets. And how could God love me if he's letting me go through this, this stuff that I'm going through right now? So I don't want to follow after God. I want to go back into the world and I want to do the things I'm going to do. I'm going to sell drugs. I'm going to do all these other things because I haven't seen God come through for me yet. Wow. Seems kind of arrogant, right? But understand where he's coming from. You see, when I, I was talking to him, it's not like I judged him. I was just like, wow, this, this guy just totally doesn't get it. I was looking at him as a hurt soul, a person really that has been searching for answers but hasn't found them. So what would you say to him? Because many in the world are under the misconception that they deserve better. They deserve something for all the good that they've done. That they really haven't done anything bad. Well, I haven't killed anyone. I haven't stolen anything. I'm not like Miley Cyrus. <laughs> you know, we'll always look at other people. And we'll judge based on, oh, well, I'm safe because that person's pretty bad. And I'm nothing like that person. But you remember what Jesus himself said the greatest commandment is. What is the greatest commandment? Raise your hand. What is the greatest commandment? Because think about this. Atheists will say, I'm a basically good person. I've kept all the commandments. I don't hurt people. I don't steal things. Yes, Evan. Yes. Sure. What is the greatest commandment? No, that's great. Thank you, Evan. For those of you that didn't hear, Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 38, a man asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. We have failed to love God, haven't we? Because even if you obey everything else, have you loved God? So the second way that we are more messed up than we think is that we have failed to love God. You can write that one down. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, why is this the first and greatest commandment? How does that make any sense? Well, number one, God is the source of all goodness. He himself is the paradigm of all goodness. Any of his laws flow from his nature. So God himself is good. Secondly, we owe God our lives and we owe him worship. We owe God our lives and we owe him worship. There's two reasons why this is the first and greatest commandment. You see, sin isn't just breaking God's laws. It's not just doing something wrong and, and oh, I didn't keep that commandment, but it's robbing God of what he rightfully deserves. 
which is our worship, our thankfulness. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. And by the way, this is your reasonable service. That was a little paraphrase at the end. This is kind of like, don't, don't you think you owe him something? Isn't it reasonable for him to ask you for your life when he gave his life for you? 1 John 4, 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. So in other words, we deserve nothing but death. In fact, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6, 23. But in the midst of this, we feel like we all deserve greatness, don't we? Yeah, I understand that I've, I've sinned, okay, I haven't loved God, but I still deserve something. I don't just, can I only deserve death? Is that really the only option for me? I think in today's world and society, you know, back in the day, when you played a sport, you only received the reward when you won something. But now it's like, you participated, here you go. You know how many trophies I have? I have like 10. All of them are participation trophies. And one of them's like a Christian character award, which I think they just gave me just because they're like, he's on the basketball team. We need to make up an award for Alan. Okay, Christian character award, here we go. You, you sat on the bench and you like totally were humble about it. So now we've given rewards and awards to people just for being part of it. People give you labels. You're the best. You are perfect. And because of these labels, we'll do one of two things. Either we'll deny our labels and feel the pressure of people's expectations. So we'll like aim for the perfect grades. And the minute that you get a bad grade, oh my gosh, I failed someone's expectation because they think I am the smartest or they think I am the best. And because of that, we'll work really hard or we'll embrace our labels and feel entitled to success and say things like, I have a musical gift. Therefore, I deserve to be famous. Why else would God give me this gift? I have suffered so much. Therefore, I deserve a good relationship. You see, after the things that people have said about us, we start to believe them. We believe our labels. But what really have you done other than borrowed from God? Here's the real question. Everyone look up here. Who gave you everything that you have? God. What about those talents and abilities? Oh, wait, he gave you those too. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, if you don't believe me. For, for who makes you differ from another? And why do you have, and what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And in fact, A.W. Tozer has this great quote. He says, our gifts and talents should be recognized for what they are. God's loan to us and should never be considered in any sense our own. We have no more right to claim credit for special abilities than for blue eyes or strong muscles. So after everything that God has done, for us, don't you think he deserves us? God worked pretty hard. He's given you a life. He's given you a family. He's given you abilities and strengths. And you say, well, I don't like the abilities I've given. I don't like the way I look. And it's like, well, God has given it to you. So use it. Use your gifts for the glory of God. And after God gives you all these things, don't you think you have a right or don't you have an obligation to be thankful 
Here's an objection maybe some of you are thinking right now. Doesn't that seem arrogant of God to demand our worship? Who does God think he is? Oh, well, I guess he's God, but doesn't it seem kind of arrogant? Well, would we deem it wrong or arrogant for parents to demand the respect of their children? Look at those lousy parents. They're asking their children to respect them. That is just so messed up. Like, I think children should just be like rowdy and do whatever they want, not listen to their parents. No, because number one, there'd be chaos. Just think about going to shop, right? And oh my gosh, that brat is just going wherever he wants. And number two, children are better off this way. Children, obey your parents for this is right in the sight of the Lord and that you may live a long life on the earth. It's like the only verse I've memorized when I was little because my parents drilled into my head. This is for your benefit, son. <laughs> in the same way, if parents deserve a little respect for giving you life, think about the one who is giving you everything, including your parents. Shouldn't you be a little thankful? Now you might say, okay, I get that, but worship? Worship is just like that word. Now realize everyone worships something. Worship is just ascribing worth to something. And the problem is when we ascribe worth to something that doesn't deserve worth. That's the only reason why worship would be bad. So in other words, taking someone like Lance Armstrong and after he won all those um, awards and everything like that, we find out he has steroids, you know. He used those in order to win those uh, competitions. And because of that, we look at him and say, well, after all we've done to recognize him as a person of worth, it's all gone to waste and he doesn't deserve it. And so we feel like we've given too much to someone that didn't really deserve our respect. Or maybe when someone talks about this band, oh man, this band's awesome, I love them so much. You listen to them, they're a terrible band. You're like, well, why did you talk them up so much if they were a terrible band? Well, you know what's really messed up? When you have like those packages of cookies that look so good and you're like, yes, this is gonna be amazing. And you open them and they're just like, they're terrible. They're like organic or something. (laughs) It's the worst, it's deception. It's wrongfully ascribing worship to something that does not deserve worship. Amen? Amen. Let's continue. (laughs) Many of us believe that we're really not that bad. But this is because we're always comparing ourselves with other people to minimize our sinfulness. You know, I have a lot of carpet stains in my room. I finally got to clean my room this past week for the first time in like six. It's bad. I am such a child. But I just never had time to clean my room. So I clean my room. There's all these carpet stains. And since I had my band practices in my room, I would always have grease stains on the carpet, always gear being moved in and gear being moved out, always people in my room. So I always blamed it on my band. You know, they always bring their shoes in here, keep your shoes in the hallway and don't, you know, et cetera. And then my band stopped practicing because we broke up three years ago. And then I still had carpet stains. And I said, well, it must be all you kids that come over to my house and hang out and whatever. You're always making a mess and don't spill any juice on the floor and the carpet and stuff. And then you guys stopped hanging out with me. And then there's still carpet stains. And then I was like, wait a minute. What if I'm the one (laughs) causing these carpet stains? And I think that's what it is. (laughs) In some weird way, this is to illustrate how we're always pointing at other people, at their sin. They're the reason why I do this. They're the reason why there's so much evil in the world. And then all of a sudden, when they're taking out of the picture, you're like, 
and I still sin and I still do bad things. Maybe the thing that's messed up is me. C.S. Lewis said, when a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. A moderately bad man knows he is not very good. A thoroughly bad man thinks he is all right. This is common sense, really. You understand sleep when you are awake, not while you are sleeping. You can understand the nature of drunkenness when you are sober, not when you are drunk. Good people know about both good and evil. Bad people do not know about either. Reason three, we have failed to love others. He talks about ungodliness and unrighteousness. Ungodliness is man's offense towards God and unrighteousness is man's offenses toward other men. So the third reason is that we have failed to love others. I just think about all the times that I've taken advantage of other people and it's not right and you have too. There are times that you try to do something nice for someone else, but really the reason why you did it the reason why you gave that person that thing or you helped that person out is because you wanted something from that person. And so you're like, well, I try to do good and I look, look how you know, nice I am giving this person lunch money and stuff, but really I'm expecting them to pay me back. And if you don't think that's true, just think about the next time you do something nice for someone and when they treat you harshly or they don't give anything in return, how do you react? Usually it's something like, I gave that person $5 and they don't even give me two cents. That's so messed up. It's because we're expecting something from someone else. We're more messed up than we think, really. It's because there's this evil underlying motive inside every one of us. The Bible teaches that we can't even will to do good apart from the Lord. So when you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, it seems like everything we try to do is just so messed up because you always have this selfish motive. You're always looking out for number one. But the Bible says, love others as you love yourself. And when God said that, he knew you love yourself very much. He's not like, I hate myself. And, you know, he knows that you value yourself. And even when you talk about yourself in a bad way, it's because you want yourself to be valued. Reason four, going a little bit quicker now. We have failed to admit that we're wrong. We have failed to admit that we're wrong. Verse 19, look at it with me, please. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. So we're without excuse and people are not thankful. Here we see the real problem behind unbelief. The problem isn't that there isn't enough evidence for believing in God. The problem isn't that people in the world don't see his power because the Bible says they are without excuse. The problem is that people suppress the truth. They don't want to believe in God. Man doesn't want to be found guilty. They don't want to hear the bad news that you've messed up. You've done something wrong. You've lived your life in offense to the powerful and living and holy God. 
And the consequences of that is that you will ruin creation. Talks about all of creation became subjected to sin's power because of what we've done. And you always blame everyone else and like, well, they're not taking care of the environment. No, it's your fault too, because you sin. And man doesn't want to feel the responsibility for the hurt in the world. He doesn't want to feel the responsibility for the hurt in creation or in history because they want to be left alone and seen as basically a good person. But it's not that there isn't enough evidence. Let's say that there's a child that breaks a vase or vase, however you say it. I say vase. And the vase is broken. It's on the floor. And a person comes up to you and says, how could you break that vase with that child? How could you break that vase? And you say, well, I didn't break that vase. Oh, you totally did. Let me give you more evidence so that you feel bad about it. No, the more evidence that I have, it doesn't make me feel more guilty. I just want to suppress the truth. You see the difference? You don't need more evidence to know that you've broken something. You know that you've broken it. It's just that you don't want to believe it. Well, if I believe it, then I'll be in trouble and then I'll have to be responsible. Reason five. So reason four is that we fail to admit that we're wrong. Weren't thankful to God for all that he's done, given us life. And we're like, well, thanks, but no thanks. I can take care of myself. I'm a self-sufficient person, self-made person. Look at all the riches that I've acquired. And God says, yeah, those are mine and I've loaned them to you. Thank you. Reason five. We have exchanged the truth of God for the lie. In other words, we want to believe whatever we want to believe. Verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. I know what you're thinking. I didn't do that. <laughs> I did not go home and make an idol that looks like a bird and four-footed animals and creeping things. Maybe creeping people, but no. Those of you that have One Direction posters at home, please take them down. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, kidding. Sorry. I know I offended a lot of people. You're like, I forget that you're freshmen. So just like these things are like stabbing ones. Like, oh, don't say that about my idol. Anyway, just because you don't worship statues or you don't hang up posters or you don't make tiny idols doesn't mean you don't have this problem. Why? Because the human heart is an idol factory. All of us have idols. And we like to poke at some of them as opposed to others. But all of us have idols and all of us have sinned. And in other words, we've exchanged the glory of God for things that God has given us. You know, cars are made to run on gasoline. And the human heart is made to run on God. So you're never really going to be satisfied until you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You're always going to be searching for something, whether it's love, whether it's just another relationship, whether it's a job, maybe it's success, whatever it is, you're going to be looking for aspects that God has given you, good aspects, but you're going to make them ultimate aspects. The reason I live is to be recognized by this one person. The reason that I live is so that I gain the success so that I feel uh, the way that I want to feel. You're exchanging the good things that God has given you on loan and made them ultimate things, things that were never supposed to be worshipped. So this search is futile because there's nothing that will ever make us satisfied other than God. 
Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, God says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, to break that down, God's saying, and he's using their relative terms, that these people have done two things wrong. Number one, they've rejected me. I'm the fountain of life. They're looking for water. I have it. And they made for themselves these idols that can't even hold water. How does that make any sense? You realize whatever it is that you worship, if it's not God, it will not be able to sustain you. It's true. It doesn't matter how good looking the guy is, how strong the guy is, ladies, he will not be able to protect you from hell. He will not be able to protect you from death. There's only one, and his name is Jesus Christ. Guys, it does not matter how much you think wealth will give you everything that you need. Wealth cannot buy you into heaven. Wealth cannot keep back the day that you die. Only God can. You see, whatever it is that's an idol in your life, if it's not God, it's going to perish. Because only God is eternal in that sense. Psalm 145 verse 16 says, You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Now, when I was your age, I'm not saying that like it was a long time ago. It was only like 10 years ago. I had a wall in my room. I still have this wall. I didn't get rid of it. I didn't demolish it, but it's still there. And on this wall, I had all these little posters. I'm just like, I collect the weirdest things. And I'd have like little skateboard posters. And I like, you know, those little tags that you get off your clothes. Like I would take like the Rockware. Do you even have Rockware anymore? <laughs> I am so dating myself. Okay. Like, I don't know, South Pole stuff. And you put the tags on the, I guess it'd be the equivalent of like H&M today, whatever. You put it on your wall and I had all these different things that I really enjoyed. So Digimon and Pokemon and whatever. This is high school, mind you. And on my wall, there, everything that I enjoyed. And then one day the Lord convicted me. Where's MySpace? Not like internet, but. <laughs> Contain yourself, Katie. <laughs> Where was, what's another word for space? Where was the spot for God on my wall? Darn it, Facebook and MySpace, they totally like ruined this message. So I thought about it, I was like, man, I don't have anything that pertains to God up on that wall. So you know what I did? I was like, well, I'm going to print out a Bible verse. So I printed out Psalm 119 verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so I printed it out, it's like size 20 font. And I put it right smack dab middle in the wall. And I said, there, I've given God his space on my wall. But you think that's what God wanted? You see, God doesn't just want one little spot in your heart. He wants all of your heart. And it's true of the physical wall and true of your heart. So do you view God as an afterthought? Kind of just like, well, uh, you know, after I get my career, after I get married, after I do all these things, then I'll think about God because that's when important things you're supposed to think about happen. So, Or do you say, I want God to, to direct every single part of my life, the times that don't seem so important and the times that are really important. Because I know that 
God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In conclusion, let me encourage you with this, because this entire message has been about how bad we really are, how corrupt we really are without the Lord. But let me encourage you, because if you're a Christian tonight, this is how this applies, right? Everyone look up here. Even though we are more messed up than we think, the fact that God died for us proves that you are more loved than you think. You ever think about that? You have sins that you don't even realize that you've committed. And God, while we were still sinners, died for us. So God saw all those things that you've done. Every single thing that you've done and is willing to forgive you. Anyone that is willing to repent and come to the Lord. Whoever confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved. You know, there is a... Um, illustration I thought of the other day because I was talking to one of you students who's not here tonight. But she asked me if I was walking by and there is a, a person drowning in the lake and this person, uh, you know, couldn't really swim. But if I went into the lake to go save that person, they would survive if they were able to grab on top of me, but I would probably die. And there's no guarantee that that person would survive either would I be obligated to go out and save that person? Or would I do that? If it was guaranteed that I would die and it wasn't even guaranteed that the person would survive. And I said, well, it depends who the person is. If the person's Hitler, I just let the person drown, right? It's like, what's the point of saving a person who's just gonna go out and kill millions of people? But realize this, Jesus Christ died that even if Hitler himself repented of his sins, God would forgive him. Regardless of your response to Jesus, God still demonstrates his love toward you in that while you were still sinners, he, did, he died for us. God treats the sinner, in other words, as if he had not been a sinner at all. Let's pray.